we get in? With a little help from some old friends. Rick Sanchez, you son of a bitch! Sanchez, you son of a bitch. Hey, hey, Trucula! You son of a bitch! I mean! Thanks for doing this, guys. What's the job? That was it. Bye. <laughs> yeah. And with that, I say welcome to Geeks with Kids, our bi-weekly geeky podcast from a parenting point of view. I am your host this week, Matt Moore, and with me I have, as always, Mr. Eric, Mr. Hawk, and Mr. Steve. Gentlemen, how are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Spirits are high this week. It's fantastic. Um, so as always, we're going to go back to one of our tried and true favorite segments. And uh, gentlemen, what's good? Uh, you know what? I'm going to start this week because I'm hosting and I can. So ha ha ha. Um, yeah. Um, what is, is good, it, Matt Moore? What is good? What is good with me? Hmm. Um, uh, for those of us loyal, that have uh, hardcore loyal listeners, you may have caught our recent little guest hosting bit on uh, Everything is Permitted. Uh, where we talked about Call of Duty, which I have sadly fallen deeply, deeply into. Yeah, you did. Gosh, I love Deep that hole, game. Man. It is, and I'm not even going to try to dig myself out. I will just chill in the gulag if you need me. Yeah. Once they open it up again. We're, we're all there. <laughs> we're all there. Uh, no, loving that game. I, everyone knows you know, first-person shooter type games are really my jam from my, my great love of the Far Cry series. That was pretty apparent. Um, so I love them getting back into the vibe with Call of Duty because I've never really been a multiplayer dude. Uh, so now I'm getting into that and, you know, online, all that fun stuff. I'm enjoying it. It's fun. Um, that's about it. Uh, that and, you know, smoking a lot of meats for people that I know because I'm a good person that way. Yeah. So my, nice. my, my fridge is constantly full of smoked meat and I'm playing, you know, first person war shooters. I am living the bro life right now. <laughs> What'd you um, smoke jealous. today? Uh, today, nothing actually. Oh. Today was, today was my day off. Well, day off. I had, to, I had to run around and do some deliveries. So, <laughs> that's yeah, fair. That's so fair. I, but I didn't smoke anything. I'm not going to do another round until later this coming week. <laughs> and who, and for those who want to watch us play call of duty, I stream every time we play together. So we're up on our Twitch page, twitch.tv slash geeks with kids. Yeah. Which is cool. I, I have love, to, I, I loved your little highlight video. That you posted. <laughs> I, it's I only had a minute long, but it's it's amazing. <laughs> I um I had a shotgun match again last night. I don't remember what we were doing, Matt, but it was it was brutal. I think I had like twenty nine kills from that shotgun. Oh, did the uh was that the capture the flag? I think it was the capture. Yeah, the flag. it was the last capture the flag where you just came <laughs> running in with shotguns, and I was an idiot and didn't change my equipment, and went in there with a shotgun and a riot shield, and gosh, that went real well. Riot shields are very good in um, everything but capture the flag. That's fair. <laughs> yeah. Hmm, yeah, I don't know. Well, anyway. So anyways, that's that's for me. That's for me. Hawk, sir, what's good? What is good in life? Yeah. To crush your enemies. Try to see them driven before you and hear the lamentations of the women. <laughs> Very uh, good. I thought that, that was and the, the riddle of steel. No, no, that is what is good in life. Yeah. That and the boys. I finally just uh, subscribed to Prime Video this week and I caught up on a few shows. Uh, nice. Most notably, the boys. Uh uh, it's everything everybody's been telling me it was. Right? It's just phenomenal. Oh, God. Ba- holding up a baby and using its laser vision to take out your enemies. <laughs> What's amazing is that that show is better than the comic. Like, yeah. It's, well, of course it's it incredible. Like, I like the comic. Like, I like Garth and Ennis, mm-hmm. um, but the TV show just expanded it. And 
the um the main superheroes aren't as two dimensional as they are in the page. Yeah. Um, yeah. What? Yeah. And that uh, ending, holy crap! That of that season. I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's 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 a really multifaceted show. I don't doubt it. That's a little more kind of two dimensional than the comic, and that uh, this is the show that kind of, in comparison to the way the preacher was brought to the screen, and that this was like you know a, a great adaptation of Garth Ennis. Like yeah, I, I was and bounds better. Yeah, I was mm-hmm. wholeheartedly disappointed with the preacher, and I wanted to love it so badly because I I know loved that comic. And I've been a big proponent of it for years. And then I'm like, they're finally doing a screen adaptation. And I watched it and I was like, eh, it wasn't horrible. It just wasn't great. It wasn't. Yeah, no, uh, compared to all the outlandish stuff that happened in that comic and that it was. Tame. Yeah, it really was. Yeah. And doubly so because it was yeah. it was AMC, wasn't it? Like they could have yeah. gotten away with so much and they just didn't bother. <clears throat> and they did later. Right. I think the first season fans of the comic were just waiting for the preacher to start like the actual comic. Yeah. We're just like, what is going on? This is all like, yeah, stuff like, that happened in like a paragraph of, yeah, of like, I don't need, I don't need backstory. Give me preacher. This is what I want. Mm. Yeah. There was a few key storylines. Um, you know, the, when they, you know, uh, gone to Texas, that was the storyline I was waiting for. They played it out pretty good in season three, but the the rest of it was not great. No, it was just, it was just a slow burn where they didn't need one. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. But either way, it's good to know that again. The boys are is a phenomenal show. We, I recommend it wholeheartedly. Hawk, clearly you do. It's, it, Everybody should watch it. My God, so good. Yeah. Um, the second season is um, gender switching a character, and they're doing it for such a good reason, and I can't yeah. wait for it. Nice. I'm not going to say who. <laughs> no, make it a surprise. It's more fun that way. Exactly. Cool, Eric. What's good? What's good is on Friday, just a couple of days ago, we're recording on the 17th, so this, that was on the 15th. The fifth and final season of She-Ra premiered, and it is such a good TV show, and I'm sad that it's ending, but it, um, there's a, there was a TV show in like the late 2000s, Avatar Last Airbender, that felt really complete and whole when you watched the whole thing, and that's what this feels like, which nice. is really nice. So having that show and you know, all the themes that it plays off of, are, you know, it's just wonderful. So It's nice yeah. to see TV be self-aware enough to not overstay its welcome. Yeah. And um, sometimes you just have to you have a story and you write the story and you end the story and that's the story. Yeah. And I think um, audiences are getting mature enough that we can have these themes in cartoons and it won't go over the heads of children and it'll actually mm-hmm. mean something to them. Like, I know they had a lot of hard times um, adding those themes in like just the past like 15 years in com in cartoons and you mm-hmm. can see it gradually joining the medium like you see things like steven universe and um uh the event or cora and stuff like that so it's nice to see mature cartoons for young people yeah well i mean it's i mean the downside is it's kind of indicative of the age we live in where i mean kids tend to grow up a lot faster than they used to and they deal with a lot of stuff that you know even we as kids never would have even had to consider dealing with but the flip side is, you know, because of that, we can now introduce themes that they're more psychologically prepared for in a younger medium, which is good and bad. It's mm-hmm. bad because it'd be nice to have the kids or kids and they'll stay kids. But at the same time, if they have to do the growing up, give it to them in a way that's, you know, less harsh. For sure. For sure. One more. All right. And Mr. <laughs> Steve, what's good? 
not too much. Um, I've just been slowly climbing out of a, a six-week uh, gulag trip uh, from Warzone, <laughs> and I'm trying to trying to do other things. Uh, it's hard. I, I I find myself back, you know, uh, every night. So, uh, yeah, not not too much, um, unfortunately. But I'm looking forward to actually playing uh, Final Fantasy, uh, which I been trying to do for three weeks i saw that you started um, it like yeah i did like yesterday yeah. or two days ago yeah a couple days ago yeah yeah that was the first time i i managed to break free of Warzone. so uh yeah so that's that's kind of what i'm looking forward to what were nice. your initial um thoughts of it like you played the first couple it looked like first hour or something yeah yeah very little i mean i i, I kind of want to do like a lot more before i i come to any conclusions but um you know visually it's uh it's it looks great um controls well um i haven't gotten far enough to really get into the the meat of the combat but i can see it getting really interesting um i like um like the way it's really snappy that way and it looks you know fabulous the way everyone attacks and yeah. super super anime um and yeah. yeah the music is really good um i guess that was something that as someone who never really played final fantasy so i don't have that nostalgic attachment um, I still was aware of the music because everyone knows the soundtracks from these games. And so it was really nice to hear that orchestration implemented at that level that even in my limited play, you know, mm-hmm. um, I've experienced. So, yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying it. Yeah, the um, the composer uh, remastered, not remastered, but he uh, recomposed a lot of the themes. Yeah. And- yeah, it's, um, it's an update. Yeah, but I appreciate that update. It, it's it's wonderful. He even takes a couple of the themes and plays with it because there are different variations on yeah. different themes. Mm-hmm. I don't want to go into it more because you'll you'll see when you get to sure these places. Yeah, cool, cool. There's there's one thing they did in seven, which is with it comes just as a random music side shout out that they do in seven that they did in fifteen that I liked, which is having some characters in game either hum or sing. <laughs> songs from the from oh, the fun. franchise but in a way that's like it's done as like a, it's like a cheeky little homage sure sure yeah. um i mean so i i really liked that my ringtone is currently someone singing a theme from that game which fun. is just so is funny it, okay, if it's from 15 or from seven seven yeah, and i know, I know exactly, you know yeah. who it is yeah and that's perfect that's the best ringtone ever <laughs> and my um my tech sound is now the the new chocobo like the coup the, oh yeah, Well, not this, not the scared, not the scared one, the the nicer one. Oh, the calm one, the calm, the cooing one. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. I just want to see Moogles, damn it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, you see one in a in a summons, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, but I want to see more. I want more, damn it. All right. Um, that, awesome. That's a that's a that's a, that's some good. That's a lot of good, and good is good. Yeah, it's all yummy, eh? Oh, you son of a gun. <laughs> and on that, we're going to segue into a newer segment that we're going to start bringing back. So we, we used to do this back in the day, and then we kind of just got distracted by diving into the meat of a lot of our episodes. But we're bringing it back. And we're going to start talking about things that are in the news, geek news, things that are, are neat for our, us and our fellow geeky listeners. Uh, I'm going to kick it off. I'm going to kick it off on a slightly more somber note because... This was a rough week uh, for entertainment. We had a lot of celebrities that we lost, unfortunately. Uh, Little Richard, Jerry Stiller, uh, Fred Willard, very recently. That one was mm-hmm. 
day that before. was a surprise was that yeah well yes and no he was 85 i think yeah. i mean more just like i kind of just found out by accident when going through twitter same here like i just remember all of a sudden i'm like wait fred willard what and i was like oh no yeah and um, we had just been we had just been watching community that morning we'd come across we watched that episode where he oh. was here as pierce and i was like oh man what's fred willard doing and then later on i was like oh no he's not doing much oh not much anymore uh and also the one the one uh, last obit which is again this is the one i told the guys which was uh paul l vasquez better known as the double rainbow guy mm-hmm. yeah uh, mm-hmm. also passed away this week which was very very sad i can't believe that video is 10 years old I, right um, also, so, in, yeah. uh, indie director Lynn Shelton died, I think, yesterday or two days ago. <sighs> yeah. 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 So that's a, another hit. It's, it's it's hard for me to keep track, too, because I don't like to follow that generally. And I'm also trying to stay away from news as much as I can because it just depresses me. So, but these were, these are significant. Not that and others aren't, but this one was, you know, all of them very well known for their contributions to pop culture and geek culture in one way or another. Yeah, one way or another, another. I can't even talk right. <laughs> so that's that. Uh, and then we're going to move on. Eric, give yep. us some light. Give us some levity. Give us some joy. Yeah. So I have a couple of things. Uh, Ubisoft announced a new North American league for Tom Clancy's Rainbow Six Esports. It's scheduled to debut in June 2020, and it'll feature two regional divisions North um, for North America, the United States, and Canada. Um, so there's also registration right now for people who want to qualify for the first ever qualifiers for these divisions. And I think that's up till May 29 and I'll put some info in the show notes, but, but uh, I was lucky enough to see the Canadian national finals in Toronto at EGLX this past October. And it was intense. Like seeing rainbow six played at that level is it's, it's mind boggling. Like we play call of duty pretty well. But mm-hmm. people playing this like tactical game and going through their motions, I, Steve, you never got to see any of those uh, games. No, I when you're there. Yeah. yeah, it was mostly on the Sunday, but like the stage was crazy and the crowd was packed and they had like announcers that were. It, it was it was very intense and it was really good. Um, let's see what else. Uh, Timothy Oliphant, Katie Sackoff, and Tamara Morrison have joined the cast of The Mandalorian season two. Or they are part of the cast and they've just Season announced Season 2 them. has all of Fantastic? Yeah. So he's in an undisclosed role. They won't say who he is. Katie Sackhoff is playing her um, Clone Wars character of Bo-Katan. And nice. Tamira Morrison is playing the adult version of Boba Fett. Which makes sense, obviously. Oh, that tracks, yeah. Also, mm-hmm. in more Star-E uh, news, uh, Star Trek Strange New World has been announced. It is a new optimistic episodic star trek series set to premiere in 2021 centered around the adventures of captain pike number one and spock on the uss enterprise reprising their roles from the last season of discovery is anton mount rebecca romaine and ethan peck so that's something new they they're talking about levity in it they're they're making it more fun like they did in like they brought to Season was it two? Season two, two. discovery. Yep. Yes, two. a million years ago. Yes. And <laughs> it was like it was a long time ago. Um, and um, to bounce off of that, coming from everything is permitted. I haven't haven't told you guys this yet. Um, coming from everything is permitted and geeks with kids is a joint podcast called A Strange New Pod, which will be about this new series. That'll come Ooh, next year, excellent. When, when it premieres, fancy. 
Follow us on Twitter. When they write and direct it. (laughs) (laughs) When we have it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Another weird thing I noticed the other day is that they said that because of the production schedule of the current season of Discovery, they're actually scoring the episodes remotely. So each of the instru- each of the musicians are recording at home, and then they're going to mix them. I don't know how that's going to work, but we'll see how that goes. I mean, it's well. I mean, arguably, it's pretty doable because as long I mean, if they have the music, they play the music, and they can you can speed or slow down the music as necessary to match the mix. So you don't have to worry about if t- someone's time signature isn't accurate. Although, if they're professional musicians, they should be able to freaking count. They'll, they'll be beat. fine, so, I think, counting wise. So I can't imagine it being. I mean, it'll be it'll be trickier for the the sound designers to try to get the mix to give that full sound that you would normally get when you have all the musicians in a room, as mm. opposed to every single instrument separate. But I think it could sound it could sound very good. It could definitely sort of change the landscape of how music is mixed yeah. going forward as well, too. I would I'd, honestly, I'd rather them just delay if they could sure. and just do the music properly. But you know, if it sounds good, well, we'll see. I think the biggest downside, especially for stuff like television, is they really can't delay that because depending on how things go and what's coming down the pipeline, people will need things to watch and you can't just halt because eventually you'll just halt and halt and halt. Yeah. And people will yeah. run out of things. So the mass singers coming to an end. So Yeah. Is it? <laughs> okay. It's a fa- <laughs> season finales this weekend. I don't know. I've never seen it. Season or series? We're, we're already past the what's good segment, but okay. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. That show is cute in a very dumb way, but like mm. they get way too excited about, about, and I'm using quotation fingers here, celebrities. Um, it's, it's listening to Jenny McCarthy talk. It just makes me die every time I. As well, it should, well, as well, it should, because, you know, her talking is responsible for a lot of people dying. Yep. Ooh, but snap. I'm not yeah. wrong. Nope. Yeah, truth. <laughs> yep. Sorry, this is, sorry, got a little savage there. Can't help it. She's a horrible human being. Yes. But other than that, uh, anyone else have any fun, fun, geeky news? They actually, fun okay. news. they announced the release date of, of um, The Last of Us. I don't think we talked about that, did we? I don't know. We haven't. Yeah, so it's no. coming out next month. So, oh, cool. There it is. All right. Oh, cool. oh, oh! One more thing. Even ooh, better ooh, news. They mm-hmm. announced Tony Hawk Pro Skater One oh, and yes. Two yes. remastered coming out this fall. Yeah, and it's only missing five of the songs, like rights issues, obviously. So they're, they're gonna have most of the songs. And the five songs that are missing, I don't really care. As long as they have Goldfinger in there, I'll be fine yeah. listening to that over and over again. Mm-hmm. So yeah. yeah, I don't think people are gonna be too upset if it doesn't have particular songs as long as the you know controls and the graphics are gorgeous like most things have been these days it's weird like they um they captured all of the the skaters but mm-hmm. now-ish so they sort of look older by sort of no. they look older that's terrible <laughs> i don't i don't want to see uh, i'm sorry i'll say this but i don't want to see bam margera today doing the stuff he did back then because he's <laughs> not looking good these days no but the rest of them look pretty pretty all right so yeah maybe they'll have a, a thing where you can age them or maybe it's a skin thing i don't know oh god i hope not yeah. well actually they probably will they'll have like you can have like the standard ones and then they'll have the the here's them thing. today if you want to play them today which is you know people might want to there's nothing wrong with that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but yeah that's kind of neat oh one more thing one more good thing <laughs> um if you okay, colombo hit me what you got if you're on pc and you have the epic game store grand theft auto 5 is free right now mm-hmm. so go pick that up if you haven't played it or if you haven't finished it like me, 
If you downloaded it, if you download it, you get a $14 coupon on the Epic Store as well. So you can get Control for like $19. Oh, buy Control. It. <laughs> yeah, buy it's Control. It's worth it for is, being able to buy Control. This is our weekly, you know, promo for uh, Control. Thank you. Do <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you did, Steve. Hey, I, I take full responsibility for that. I don't care. As well yeah. you should. It, uh, that's the game that definitely stole our hearts. And speaking of stealing things... Ladies oh, and gentlemen, this segue. Wow. Such a There's a clap. The applause added. Eric <laughs> added into the mix right now. Applause. I thank you. I thank you. So this week, friends, we are talking about uh, our favorite heist films. What is a heist film, you ask? Um, it is a movie where typically a, a, group of, uh, a group of individuals get together to borrow, purloin, acquisition. One might even say steal a thing uh, from, from nice. someone else. Typically, the film involves the uh, an extensive planning, a ragtag group of characters that are all out to do this, and then the the meat of the film, if you will, involves them uh, either either getting or not getting the thing that they're after. They're fun films. Uh, they, these are what I call quintessential popcorn films. Mm-hmm. You sit there, you're just watching. You get so invested in it because they're usually pretty well crafted films, in my opinion. So yeah, that's uh, that's at least my definition of a heist film. If anyone else would like to add on to that, by all means, dive in. Feel free. I don't no, know. Pretty uh, good. I don't know if you have to steal something, but there has to be a caper. Where yeah, yeah. Well, that's what I, I'm usually it's a matter of like I said, acquiring, acquisitioning. Per, like either a group of people are going to go get a thing or do that a is thing. Not well, that's yeah. I say steal because it's usually Let's, a thing that's not theirs. Yeah, yeah. I it's mean, like, I think, it's yeah, not a quest. It's that. like a it's a job. It's not a quest. I think a more <laughs> general. I think another general way of approaching it. And this will. You know, as we talk about each film, this will become more apparent. But um, I think a quintessential sort of uh, structure of a heist movie is that there there has to be uh, a team, right? Mm-hmm. And they all have their own particular skills, and they're brought together to do some kind of a job. And those are sort yeah. of like so. Not even talking about whether they're stealing or anything, I, but I think that actually I think would work for the four films that we particularly chose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a pretty good summary of a heist film. We each brought a film to the table here that we've all we we watched all of these, but we all picked our particular uh, selection, and then we're gonna have a quick little rundown on that. Maybe talk talk about the cast, some fun tidbits, bits that were kind of awesome from the movie. Because almost every heist film has a couple of really good iconic moments. I found at least the ones that we classify as good. Mm. Um, so Hawk, I'm gonna throw it over to you. Cool. So we're going all the way back to 1995 for uh, the movie Heat, uh, directed, written, produced, and directed by Michael Mann. Uh, It is the tale of two men, uh, Vincent Hanna, who is a veteran police officer working for the Robbery Homicide Division of Major Cases in Los Angeles, and Neil McCauley, a lifelong criminal who works works on specialized scores with a very tight-knit crew. Now, the story is inspired by the real-life criminal Neil McCauley, uh, who is a bank robber who was killed in the midst of one of his crimes by a Chicago detective named Chuck Adamson. Yeah, getting a little dry here. Uh, the thing is, he killed him one year after sitting down with him in a diner to have a cup of coffee with him. Uh, would you see? Mm. Yeah. Macaulay was a lifelong criminal. He'd spent apparently 25 of his 49 years in and out of prison for crimes ranging from theft to murder. Uh, here's a quote from uh, Denna Geeks when I was re- doing a little research on the film. By the 1980s, Chuck Adamson, that detective from Chicago, had managed to make the transition from detective to writer, 
bringing decades of his experience on the streets uh, of Chicago to shows like Miami Vice and Crime Story, uh, both of which Michael Mann was a producer on. Mm-hmm. Adamson had befriended Mann years earlier, and the filmmaker was immediately taken by the former detective story about Macaulay, and in particular the notion of the two men of a, on opposing sides of the law with a single-minded attitude to their jobs. The highlights of this movie include the opening sequence. Uh, it's a robbery sequence involving an armored truck. The conversation between De Niro and Pacino in the diner, which marked the first time that the two of them had ever been on screen together. And finally, mm-hmm. the bank robbery sequence was turned into a massive firefight in the middle of the Los Angeles streets. I think so, you missed yes. one, um, one key, key amazing thing of this sh- movie, and it's Val what? Kilmer's ponytail. Oh, oh see, I thought you were saying it was Val Kilmer was skinny. <laughs> oh, ouch. <laughs> Am I wrong? No. I don't know. We'll see when he oh, yeah. comes back as Ice. I, I I saw those videos of him <laughs> later on that. Yeah, he uh, he went full Brando later on. He really did. Yeah. Hey, what did you guys think of this movie? Um, I love this movie. Oof. I saw this yeah. movie when I was 15 and it blew my brains out. One, because it was so long. Mm-hmm. But two, but because the performances were so good. Not just that the action was over the top and like bombastic and amazing but like Pacino and De Niro were just like top of their game they were just so good and then all the secondary characters were all amazing actors as well plus you get a young Natalie Portman who was in a really really um emotional role I I guess I'll say that for her yes it was a small role and that it was kind of really around the start of her career so I mean like you know Mm -hmm. but uh you know she was she really stood out in particular in one Mm -hmm. sequence uh, yes. But yeah, that di- the diner scene, I think, is, you know, my favorite moment in the film. And that, as I said, it's I the think first it's time like either moment. Yeah, Absolutely. First time either of them ever appeared together on screen because everybody mm-hmm. said, oh, they're in The Godfather together, but they never yeah, appeared never on, on screen. screen no. Yeah. Uh, and everywhere that conversation was amazing. <laughs> oh, it was beautifully written. So beautifully written. And like this, the tension that builds from the time they sit yeah. down. Yeah. Oh, You're just like, what's going to happen here? Yeah, yeah, that was definitely the peak for for both of them, in my opinion. That was like the perfect time to get them both in a movie like that. Absolutely, I love how there's no animosity between them. You know, in the it, scene, it's like, oh, it I'm coming to get personal. You. It was just business. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's like, well, yeah. Wouldn't you rather do something else than that? And it's like, do what? Barbecues and ball games? Is that <laughs> your life? Yeah, yeah. So good. Yeah, it's an interesting uh, movie in this sort of the scope of the films that we watch because there's. It, it goes so far to uh, go into the lives of many of the characters, including the opposition, right? There's cops and, and robbers in this one. Mm-hmm. And, and that is, uh, you know, greatly emphasized. And I don't know that there are many movies that have gone to that extent. I mean, you need a three hour movie, really, because you're telling <laughs> the story of two different crews almost, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so that was one of the things that kind of stood out, uh, especially when watching all the films together. And um yeah, it's it also like because we picked movies from four different decades, like I, I find it kind of funny, like watching these films. And one thing I've been thinking about heist movies, um, the technology of the time always gets in, integrated into the heist movie to make it like, you know, hip and snappy. And this is a very minor one, but the zip tie became the quintessential tool, you know, of, <laughs> yeah. of heists, right? Because of key. Now, that probably was actually in reality, you know, a thing, right? But I just thought that was that was one that was just one thing I wanted to point out that that became like a a, a factor, um, and also the availability of assault rifles. 
that kind of like looking back on it now, I was like watching the, the, the big high scene and I'm like, they literally just hung them like under their jackets and just walked around. And I'm like, yeah. man, I know oh, these military grade full yeah. auto. I know. Yeah. It, it, it's interesting that the, the technology comment and that, because this movie stays very grounded in realism and that. So yeah. it's like, mm. they don't come in with a lot of high tech equipment and that it's yeah. a lot of it is just low tech radio shack stuff. I mean, yep. that whole scene where, with uh, the guy they get the, the job from and that he, you know, he's in a wheelchair and that, but he, he's a huge computer nerd and that with his yeah. own satellite dish picking up information just over the radio waves yeah the technology was super was you know it was it was very readily accessible and that i mean that yeah, each of them came with kind of their own expertise but they were all kind of just general contractor construction guys and that you know yeah the guy picks up the explosives for the armored car job from just a regular construction site um, the boards that the guy used to trick out the alarm system for the bank job at the end and that he built them in his own home Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and they just went in. Yeah. And they just go in through, you know, underneath the building and get everything arranged for it. I love the realism. Uh, it's yes. the small details that really sell this movie. Mm-hmm. No, yeah. Absolutely. No, yeah. I mean, yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Like, it's funny watching all these movies and uh, uh, observing these actors who go on to do so many different things, but also the context. Like, I really wonder if a movie like Heat could ever be made now. Um, I think it would almost be a little bit too. Like, because the shootouts are so, um, they are quite violent and very mm-hmm. extensive, you know? Yeah. Because I find that these, these days when they do shootouts, they try to, I think they probably try to tighten them. He really tried to expand them. Like, because, yeah, there's always been shootouts, right? But not that many movies go have, have running gun battles, you know? And yeah. uh, it's a very powerful scene. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I don't know if the environment is, like, I don't know if the movie environment is healthy enough for us to do stuff like that now. Two things about the gun battle scene. Uh, one, apparently they did not inform the street uh, crowd that they were filming a movie when they when they mm-hmm. uh, started filming that sequence and that. So all the serious? screams you're hearing. Yeah. Oh so all the screams you're hearing are real people. Well, that was uh, that. I think man did that intentionally, too, because he wanted to have he didn't want to, like, have extras that, you know, have that. Oh, we're scared. He's like, no, let's keep this real. And what would happen yes. if you had a bunch of people running down the street firing weapons at each other? Which, you know, it adds to the chaos yeah. in a good way. And if there's a director and, that would do it, it would be Michael Mann. Right? Absolutely. <laughs> totally. And two, as far as the realism in that, apparently that scene did inspire a bunch of criminals, uh, I think yeah. a year or two later in that. And there was a very similar gunfight took place in that yeah. uh, in yeah. an American city. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. I was trying to remember whether that happened before the movie or after the movie. I know it happened it after, after the movie a few times. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah, it's kind of bad. Yeah. Meh. Yeah. But I mean, it's downside is it's a testament to the fact that that could be recreated in real life because people have access to the items with which to do it, which is horrendous. Yes. But that's not our place to judge that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yet I mean, we still it's are. a very unconventional heist movie in that, you know, the heist yeah. itself doesn't seem as important as the people involved in it. In that. Mm-hmm. Uh, True. I think it's I think it's I think it's a really good character study, uh, in particularly with its two leads in that uh, mm-hmm. we look at the and that deep dive into their personal lives in that we find like, you know, Neither, you know, any dedicated cop or any dedicated criminal cannot hold a marriage or relationship together. <laughs> mm, sure. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. Being see, being able to see the sort of the mirror, you know, like of those uh, relationships uh, that that did make the movie very interesting. Um, 
and also Val Kilmer's uh, relationship too. Like, I mean, these are like extra characters at this point, right? But yeah, mm-hmm. yeah they had so many uh, um, supporting uh, characters in this film. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, I personally, I'd love this film. I think it's awesome. Definitely worth it. I remember, I remember being so stoked to buy it. I'm like, oh my gosh, the double VHS because it's such a long movie. Yeah, I have that. I have that copy too. Yeah. Um. So yeah, and final thoughts, everyone on on Heat. Hmm. Um, we like it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's great. I mean, it's it's a pinnacle of '90s cinema. I mean, the thing is it kind of set a standard for heist movies after that to a point, mm-hmm. right? At least in terms of the action, right? Yeah. Um, like Hawk said, it doesn't focus as much on the heist. It has more to do with the character stuff. And I don't think you'll find very many heist movies uh, or many movies really where there's, uh, there's protagonists and antagonists living in the same city um, as explored as this movie. So it really is one of the best films for all of that for the character work as well as like the the very few but really intense high scenes yeah i don't think absolutely i don't think there has been a movie that can top that los angeles um downtown heist at the end of the film no you'd be copying it at this point right because it was done so well Mm -hmm. and the the last time i was in la i definitely went down there and saw some of the places oh wow and yeah (laughs) could you like walking down the streets and seeing how busy it was I can't. I can't even imagine what those people were thinking, while Jeez. while they filmed that film, while they filmed no. that sequence. Because, wow, yeah, like a man, you're 100%. an evil man. Yeah, but a genius, yeah. genius, evil man at times. Final thought is a shout out to the cinematographer Dante Spinotti, and that uh, the film, the the camera work in this is incredible, and that and it's another. Michael Mann has a huge thing for Los Angeles, and that he loves the city, and that, and he's always finding you know. Of fantastic ways of filming it, uh, mm-hmm. even after a switch over to digital. Absolutely, nice. All right, next next up, Mr. Steve. I'm going to throw it to you, sir. Oh, oh no. Okay, I'm still. I've been trying to figure out how to explain this movie because I don't want to give away too much. But my pick was a fish called Wanda, and if my yeah. wiki will load, uh, so a very different in terms of uh, feel. Um, <laughs> this movie uh, from, oh, and I've lost the year. Uh, basically, there's a, a gang um, 
four four person gang. They actually do the heist right at the beginning of the movie. So unlike a lot of these other films that we'll be talking about, there's no planning phase. There's not much of a background. You just kind of get dropped right into it. So the heist is done and uh, they just need to work out, you know, the getaway part of it. And then uh, one of them gets betrayed um, and uh, gets thrown in prison. And then the rest of the movie is trying to figure out how to get to the jewels uh, because uh, they've been hidden away and uh, there's just a lot of ridiculous hijinks and uh, complicated uh, relationships um, culminating in, I don't know, just, it, it's a hilarious movie. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't really know how else to describe it other than to say, I guess I'll describe some of the characters. Um, Michael Palin plays a, a, a stuttering animal lover um, who is sort of the right-hand man of the gang leader who is the one who actually goes to prison. Um Jamie Lee Curtis plays a, uh, uh, I guess like a, she's a con artist, mm-hmm. um, and uh, her quote unquote brother, who is the extra uh, man on the team, uh, Otto West, is played by uh, Kelvin Klein, who is just like this character. Like I, I don't even know how to describe his particular character because he's he's just he he's constantly wearing these like I'll just describe the visual because I think that's enough. He's wearing these suspenders with chinese written on them for the whole movie right and i mean i think that kind of informs basically what's what's wrong with this guy right like he's got this whole notion that he's like this hyper intellectual and he knows so much about like german and, and asian philosophy and he's like he's a killer but he's just he's so outrageous and just over the top i, I don't know how else to describe it so yeah i oh and also uh john cleese is a uh a lawyer a barrister uh mm-hmm. who is uh working on the case of the main gang leader uh and one last thing before i forget um right at the end of the movie uh there's a there's a very minor scene with uh stephen fry yeah um he's not even an important character he gets his like he gets his airplane ticket robbed uh and, and i was like Wait, is that is that is that stephen fry like it's just the most hilarious yeah. like he has one line literally and it was just i was like holy cow that's hilarious so mm-hmm. um yeah. I, anyway, so I've been rambling. I don't know what else to really say. I kind of want to hand it over to you guys to discuss it. It's just, it's such a funny movie. Well, one. Kevin Klein. Yeah. Okay. You go first. Sir. Yeah. I had my hand up. Damn hot. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, first thing, you have to remember that Aristotle was not Belgian. And number two, the central message of Buddhism is not every man for himself. Now, let me correct you on a couple things, okay? Aristotle was not Belgian. The central message of Buddhism is not every man for himself. And the London Underground is not a political movement. Those are all mistakes, Otto. I looked them up. Yeah, (laughs) I wanted to write that one down. I'm glad you did. That was so funny. Um, Oh, man. Yeah, the stuff that... Yeah, anyway, so go on. Also, Kevin Klein won an Oscar for this film, so... (laughs) Yes. Like, you know that he's, like, at the top of his game playing this really dumb intellectual and... It's just, it's so funny watching him, but really the, the standout in this film for me was Michael Palin because mm-hmm. his progression in this story made me laugh harder every time I saw him on screen. And that, yeah. that last time he does that, the thing with the, that, um, yeah, with, we're trying not to give <laughs> the last time yeah. he actually succeeds in his mission. Yeah. Made me cry yeah. laughing. Like so yeah. loud that my kids were like, "What's going on?" I was like, "Uh, yeah. so wrong." But he just he just nails it. And well, I guess what what sort of that's that does bring to mind something I wanted to add is like this particular set of actors, they all bring totally different things to this movie, and it works so well. Like the comedy and their timing and their facial expressions, 
Like Kevin Klein is this really exaggerated character. Michael Palin is like a caricature, but nevertheless, mm-hmm. it all works, you know, uh, and it wouldn't have worked without Jamie Lee Curtis and John Cleese, like mm-hmm. playing more normal characters, but also a bit ridiculous and somewhat heartfelt, you know, so yeah. it's just great. There also, I'll just throw out there, there also was what's considered by many a spiritual sequel to this uh, 1997's Fierce um, Creatures. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. I, um, I didn't with, know about that. I want to track that down. It's it was it's it's good. You have to. It's a spiritual sequel because it has the same cast. It was yeah. also written by Cleese, and it has Cleese, uh, Curtis, Klein, and Palin in it. That's the only similarities is that it's the same, obviously same author and same cast. Mm-hmm. So yeah, no, I I have to check out that uh, that film. I know um, it wasn't uh, nearly as uh, popular. I guess maybe people had certain expectations, but I mean, after these bizarre characters they played, I, I don't really know what you exactly. know would have well, worked I mean, exactly. It, and it was also like a decade later as well, too. Sure, sure. So I mean, you know, everyone everyone you know gets a little old. They were a little older at that point in time, and you know, the comedy ch- trends had changed. Yeah. So yeah, so stuff they did in '88 isn't going to swing as well as far in '97. Uh, Even some of yeah, the jokes yeah. from that won't fly with some audiences today. But yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was thinking the same thing. Like when I was watching Heat, and same thing with A Fish Called Wanda. I'm like watching this, going like, man, there's no way they could make this movie now. Like no, <laughs> for all the reasons, not. you know, just in terms of yeah, the sense of humor and the way it approaches a, a lot of things. It's just kind of it's very laissez faire in, in its attitude. Yeah. But see, that's for me. I actually, I always love when I can watch a movie and say they could never make this today because that means that, bless it, they'll never try to remake it. it sure, that movie will stay the same because there's no way they could try to redo this because it wouldn't fly. And that that always gives me that sense of hope. I'm like, great, this is now preserved for all time because no one will ever try to do this again because they would not be able to get away with it anymore. Mm-hmm. Never say never. Say never. They, well, they might, yeah, they might remake it. That. It just, it'll just be really. Awful. Oh no! That's sort of a imagine. standard rule of thumb with any kind of film, whether mm-hmm. it's worthy of that statement or not. Is that? Uh, anyways, <laughs> not going to go off on that deep dive. Yeah. So I don't know. Uh, does anyone else have anything else to say about it? Because I don't. I, I don't want to give anything away. It's. It's just a. It's just a really bizarre kind of unique little movie, but it's very easy to watch and. Um, yeah. I the what I've always described is if you are a fan of of Cleese's writing, mm. you will love this movie. Mm-hmm. Yes, like and it's one of those, and especially if you, especially if you're a big Monty Python fan, you will be able to you will know what's after watching this movie. You can go back and watch Monty Python, and you can pinpoint all the stuff that John Cleese wrote based off how this movie is. Because mm. yeah. then you're like, that's what he, that's how he writes. How amazing is it that he is a straight person in this in this yeah. film? Yeah. Plus, and, I always and, found John Cleese was always great at playing. Like, he was always good at playing the straight man, even when he was doing. That's what made a lot of his really ridiculous stuff work, is because he was always just so. You could see just how tightly wound he was at all times, <laughs> and it's just whether he would, whether he would let the character break free from that or not. Right. Yeah, and that's that's in this film too. So. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Sorry, I was laughing. I, was, I think of the end, and I just go, <laughs> "Oh my god, yes!" Yeah. That last little, yeah. the last, the, Kev- the yeah. Kevin Klein plays yeah. such yeah. a good creeper. It's amazing. <laughs> um, alrighty, yeah. Moving on, Mr. Eric, it's your you're up to bat, sir. So. My film is from 2010, uh, written directed by Christopher Nolan. The film is Inception. Yeah. And when the 
film stars Leo DiCaprio, Ken Watanabe, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Marion Cotillard, Ellen Page, Tom Hardy, Dilip Rayo, Cillian Murphy, Tom Berenger, and the amazing Michael Caine. So this mm-hmm. this it's such a weird premise for a film, but it 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 centers around this professional thief who's trying to steal information by infiltrating into um, the subconsciousness of his targets. And I don't know if I can go into this more than that, because this film is really about going into further depths into the mind. And it's sort of like this, this, this is, reverse heist, like because they're not really yeah. stealing things, but they're implanting ideas to make something this, go this in is, a certain yeah. way. Well, and this I feel like of all the films on our list, this is the one that our listeners will definitely have very Most likely, likely seen, seen. We've yeah. talked about it a Most lot. Likely. Yeah, uh, we've brought it up a few times, especially in our our best of the decade list. Yeah, for sure. Um, but this is definitely it's it, this is the one that I, at least I feel kind of redefined the heist genre because it wasn't they weren't committing a physical theft or physical heist. It was a subconscious heist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a conceptual thing more yes. than something you know um, physical. Yeah. So in th- mm-hmm. two thousand two, when Chris Nolan was done filming um, Insomnia. He came up with this idea based around lucid dreaming, which he had been studying. And he, he made this 80-page outline for this heist film. And it took him eight years to get it done, completed. And it's sort of been his baby. Um, mm-hmm. And he wanted to basically create this heist film. In his words, he thought that um, traditional heist films were not emotional, or at least people weren't emotionally driven in them. Because it was, you know, it was a score. Um, but this is very much centered on Cillian Murphy's character and his relationship with his father, right? So every heist is based on that. Um, a nice little tidbit is that when he was filming and he was giving the dailies over to WB, um, the WB was like, you know what? This movie would look amazing in 3D, which was just getting into this big hype around that time. And Chris Nolan was like, no, no. The visuals in this film... Um, the whole 3D thing would take away from it. Like you want to be astounded with it. Right. And you don't want to just see things flying at your face, which, you know, you could see that happening, especially in the cafe scene. It's the standout scenes in this, obviously um, the first time you see the, them go into the, the dream world with Ellen page when the folding cities Mm -hmm. and the exploding fruit, the whole Mm -hmm. last James Bond esque uh, heist, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, And, Really, I don't know. I can't think of any low, real low points. The first heist at the beginning when the carpet thing happened. I, yeah. I, I, there's not no, really but it's a, establishing yeah. how yeah. it all works, though. So, yeah. So there's not really a low point in the movie. It's just, it's the, every time this movie is, that movie was very, very good at always, even subtly raising the stakes. Mm-hmm. And every time, every scene just made things, it got built and built and built until finally they get to that heist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we talked about just, yeah, sorry. Oh, that was, oh, I mean we yeah. talked about how the the technology informs like the films, right? Steve you said that earlier. Um the use of CG was very, you know, used very well in this film because yeah. um it yeah. was used to enhance things, right? The folding mm-hmm. of the city yeah. and all of that stuff. But yeah. a lot of the effects that he did in the film were practical. Like they were yeah, so practical. Yeah, so yeah. he really made a point of using the CG to create the impossible. Yeah. Yeah, like you can't like fool the city, man. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah. But like the, a great example I was given is the corridor fight. Yeah, yeah. 
Which is real, yeah. Which is again, and that's the thing that you know, and people know that it's it was used in trailers and all the time, but like that fight was practical. The quarter mm-hmm. fight, the elevator and, sequence, like you can't like mm-hmm. you can't fake those things to get that yeah. level of you know intensity. How like, to simulate a kick in zero G. Right. Oh yeah. My God. Mm-hmm. Just the, the the whole last sequence in the snow just made me want Chris Nolan to make a James Bond film. Like sure. Yeah. Like that yeah, that yeah, was a true. good <laughs> James Bond sequence. With Tom Hardy yeah. as James Bond. There you go. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 kind of funny. Like he he kind of got to make like four or five different movies like within this the framework of this one movie, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um yeah, I was gonna say in terms of like the whole heist framework, um, I mean I think unfortunately this movie's kind of like, yeah, up the bar, you know, of what you know, you, you know, you you guys were saying about heist movies, you know. And um I think that uh, the one thing that makes this one very different is it does have this central sort of unique technology, you know, and mm-hmm. so they do have to spend quite a lot of time kind of laying out the framework of, of the boundaries of how it works. Um, but at the same time, they are also developing the backstory, you know, of DiCaprio's character um, and his relationship with some of these other um, specialists. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it still it still has the highest framework because it's got like all the pros. Mm-hmm. Right. And they're all like recruiting and, you know, that whole yeah. bit and then the whole plan. And, and then to see the plan go through, so it really yeah. f- fits the formula. Even though almost in every other respect, it's it's unique. The, the, yeah. By the time it gets to the heist and the, and you know what the layout is, you you're you're right there with yeah. all the tension that feels yeah like. yeah yeah yeah. We're we are we are we are like we know everything that needs to happen at that stage. Yeah. I love that um, yeah. in heist films we see the complications, like we were saying earlier. Something usually yes. turns around, and you have to keep going further into a mission. But that this film is basically that on on its head right because that last yeah. mission is just complication creates a new uh level and then yeah. another complication new level and it just it keeps on upping it and oh man and like matt yeah. was saying the this the music in this film oh, wow sure. the, yeah. blah, the hans zimmerman score for this was incredible yeah and again the music was also great at helping build that tension and helping really keep the audience focused because they are you know that low level hum that always happens throughout most of the sequences was there just to get the audience feeling tense. They were very crafty that way. Yeah, and then we get 10 years of that uh, that deep wah in films forever. <laughs> yeah. Right? Uh, yep. Yeah. When a score can successfully elicit that kind of a response in an audience, like that means you can use that sound clip and the audiences immediately know what to expect. Even if it's not what actually is happening, that well, creates an expectation. It's more that... that- Every every one who's ever copied that sound effect wants to invoke Inception level you know excitement, and they don't always do. So yeah. <laughs> that's what they're trying for anyway. So fun to bit that boy that we keep hearing in the film is just a slowed down version of Edith Piaf's "Non Je Ne Regret Rien," which is the song that um, oh. kept on playing in that movie, and that was their oh, I didn't yeah, know. their kick song. Yeah, so yeah, yes, fun, no regrets. Yeah. <laughs> Yep. Any other thoughts on this? I love, like, I love this film. I love this film. Uh, it's um, great. Yeah. Uh, I, I understand like with uh, a lot of his films actually start from little novellas that he and the brother write together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this one is no exception in that. Um, the one thing I, I took away from it is it's his, it was his chance to explore sci-fi almost through the lens of Philip K. Dick. The, the writing had a very similar tone mm-hmm. to it. Uh, yeah. But, yeah. The idea about what's is in particularly the idea of reality and that and these people stepping into a place that they know is, you know, is a a fantasy uh, and, and, you know, the dangers of becoming lost in it, uh, which, Mm -hmm. you know, very, very apparent in in stages over the film. Oh, yes. Uh, 
Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I was thinking when I was watching this film, it always amazes me the, uh, especially after watching fish called Wanda, the, the cast, um, and, um, and the timing, because I, I, again, this is a film, you, you know, I think, well, with Tenet coming out soon, we might see another Inception type film, mm-hmm. but at the same time, we'll never get this cast again because they're all yeah. too big now. Right. And that was like because DiCaprio was the biggest one at that time with, mm-hmm. you know, possibly um, Michael Caine, Michael Caine. Right. But um, well, but everybody was, yeah. else was already like uh, really popular. And for them to like come together and mm-hmm. make that film, it really because they're like, you know, the other guys are such minor characters, but they work so well, you know, because they're mm-hmm. such great actors, right? So well, that's yeah. just it. Like he was, he was really good at putting together a cast of really good character actors. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which is what helped make this work, as opposed to some other films that have that rely on stars that are basically playing. You know, it's it's not the character; it's this actor as the character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, in franchises that love to use numbers. Yeah, like um, Pete uh. Postle, uh Wait, like he was the father in it, right? He's such a good yes. actor, good character actor. Yeah. He's in such a tiny bit, but when you see him on screen, you're just like, God, he's so good. Yeah. 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 Well, even using Tom Berenger the way that he did, right? Yeah. Like I, mm-hmm. when I saw him, I was like, wait, that's Tom Berenger, right? Uh-huh. And it's just like, that's not a typical role for this guy, <laughs> no. right? And, it, and, and yeah, like all the parts work extremely well. Like he just, he invokes good performances. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So definitely a phenomenal film. All right, and I think now we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up, and I guess that leaves just me. I went old school. I think I actually I have the oldest film on this list. Yes. Um, I picked 1973's The Sting, uh, which is a movie I've I've had near and dear to my heart, and it's one of those people may not have seen this movie, but I guarantee you, you will know the the theme song from this, which is of course The Entertainer by Scott Joplin, which was made. The song had been around for years, but was made very, very famous by this movie. It's become synonymous with this film. Mm-hmm. I said 1973 uh, was directed by, by George Roy Hill, uh, who was also known for uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, which also featured uh, the same actors in this film in, in that. Uh, Slaughterhouse-Five and Slapshot. <laughs> he did Slapshot? <laughs> he did Slapshot. Wow. I know. I had to I double check. That. I was like, that is such a weird. He had a very, very <laughs> yeah. storied career and he had definitely crossed genres. <laughs> the one thing that remained consistent is he loved working with Paul Newman. Who wouldn't? Yeah. yeah. Um, the movie itself, like I said, stars uh, Paul Newman, Robert Redford, and Robert Shaw. Uh, also features great performances by uh, Charles Durning, hmm. uh, Ray Walston, and Eileen Brennan. Yeah. Um, this one is a really tricky one for me because to summarize it, I have to be very, very concise <laughs> because I, this is a movie that you cannot talk about to people that haven't seen it because it will literally ruin everything. Sure. It's basically two con men coming together to run a very, very long con. Mm. Uh, the two con men, of course, p- being played by Redford and Newman, uh, running a con on a mob boss played by Robert Shaw. Mm. That's about all I can tell you. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Because this movie is at running at uh, just a little over two hours. Until the final frame, you will not know what is going on. And in that, those last, I'd say, 10, maybe 15 minutes, you literally sit back and go, oh. 
because there are so many twists and turns in this movie, which mm-hmm. just was kind of not really done in 1973. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but there's just so many, you know, crosses and double crosses and twists and, and until the very end, then all of a sudden you just go, Oh, wow. Cause everything gets laid out and you're like, and you see, and you get to see exactly what was being done. It's brilliant. I love this movie. It warms my heart. Thoughts, gentlemen. I had never seen this film, and I thought it was wonderful. Um, the The setup of it being in 1930, so it felt like an old school film. And this was definitely like the prototypical heist film. Like this followed what you expect the heist film to do to a T, and not in a like a cheesy way. Like it was done really well, and I really enjoyed <laughs> it. Um, I have written down my notes. Um the title cards which are very amusing they have like these like you know like uh, occasional paintings with like you know uh you know the setup or or the wire or something it would kind of break up the action and it was kind of funny to like have it sort of segmented that way in a very Mm -hmm. clean like this is a heist movie and these are the parts you know almost you know um i also have uh, so many fine uh mustaches that was yes. that was entertaining to me. An exceptional then, amount of mustaches. And then I also have written down uh, hired goons. Like, do you think those <laughs> actors who were like the goons for that Bob Boss could do anything else in their lives except be hired goons? Because like the faces on those guys, man. Yeah. What a mug. No, so good. The, the one like, with that face carved out of granite. Yeah. yeah. There, one guy. <laughs> there was one guy that looked like Flea from Red Hot Chili Peppers. And I couldn't get it out of my head. Like, he was just one of the, the thugs, and I was just like, "I know you're not that old." <laughs> no. The interesting part is a lot of those goons actually were stuntmen. Okay, makes sense. They, right, they, they and sense. this was they they really were pushing. They wanted to give these guys roles where it's like, "Yeah, you're heavies," but that's why they didn't look like it wasn't just a stereotypical like big burly guys. Like they looked, yeah, as much as they looked kind of imposing and rough. They didn't. They weren't just all like, "Oh, we're all six five and you know built like." brick poop houses <laughs> i'm avoiding that e i'm avoiding that blue just e. for this episode <laughs> yeah um but yeah this movie also um swept the academy awards that year oh it was it won seven of its 11 nominations yeah. wow uh Oof. best director best picture best original screenplay best art direction uh for scenic design best costume design best editing and best original song yeah, well, I can what see was the that. original Which song? Was actually, it was uh, Marvin Hamlin's arrangement of Joplin's The Entertainer. Oh, okay. Oh, the arrangement count. Yeah, weird. Well, this was oh. back in the seventies. Not fair. I believe so. I believe so. I have to double. I don't remember specifically what it was, but there was definitely it definitely won for best original song. Well, the fact that all of us and some of us who hadn't even seen the movie like were humming the theme song our whole lives. I mean, I guess it's it's a deserved yeah. award. Yeah, it was definitely one it's of the been first. So parodied over. Yeah. 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 I think this, the thing that caught my attention was when I watched this movie for the first time this past weekend, mm-hmm. I was sitting there was like, I'm pretty sure I saw something like this. And it was a Simpsons episode that had, uh, that yep. had parodied it. And I was like, God damn. Sure. Simpsons yeah, did it. <laughs> yeah. Um, this for me also was, I love this movie because I saw this movie, like, of course, obviously many years after it came out. But for me, it was very cool to see Robert Shaw playing not Quint. Yeah, I thought that too. Yeah, mm-hmm. I know. And it's, again, it's one of those like you know, the more I read into him, like he was a, a Shakespearean trained actor for <laughs> years and years and years. Uh, so to great. watch him play like that sort of smooth yet really rough mob boss was kind of awesome. Yeah, 
Yeah, you knew you knew who he meant business. Um, yes. Yeah, there was a lot of like cold stares in this movie that were pretty yeah. good. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. It took me a while to realize it was him. So I was like, the, the yeah, actually, I didn't really know until you just it. said it. Yeah. Yeah. You really? Because awesome. he looked because he looks so different, and he had you know he actually had his normal accent in this as opposed to the one he put on for Quint. Mm-hmm. Sure. Sure. Um, um, it just occurred to me as we were talking. Uh, one of the things I was going to mention was I found it kind of funny how in this movie, unlike the other ones we talked about there's like a whole universe of people, right? Like, it, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. There's like a few key people that they bring together at a certain point. Right. But yeah. like, he goes like, ah, I can probably maybe get a hundred, maybe 200. I'm like, what? And then they literally like have dozens and dozens yeah. of people like involved. Right. Oh yeah. And, and I was thinking like, man, I don't think I've ever seen anything quite like that. Like, it's almost like, because you had the underworld and then mm-hmm. you had all these con artists and grifters who like are all free agents. Right. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? maybe this is like the origin of like the John wick universe, right? Where like they went on, they just formed a society later, you know, took over and went bad, you know? But anyway, I just, I did, that just popped in my head. I just yeah. thought it was kind of funny how like practically everybody like was, was a free agent and they're all like, yeah, let's do Let's screw this one guy. Yeah. 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 It makes sense though. in that, because you got to imagine like a life of crime isn't just for like, you know, the heavy described, as sure. you described earlier, the, you know, the, these like rough, tough, violent people. And that. there's got to be all sorts yeah. of kind of these middlemen who work yeah. you know, throughout organized, you know, organized and unorganized crime, as you said, yeah. as free agents and that, but they're just pretty much guys just trying to get by. Yeah. Well, yeah especially exactly. like, you know, like con men and grifters. Cause it's literally like their job is just, just to con people out of money. They're going to run into each other occasionally. So, mm-hmm. so John Wick producer, writer slash directors, if you're listening to this, you got to hire Robert Redford in one of your later <laughs> films and make him like the grandfather of all of that. Yeah. Cause that would be amazing. Well, especially <laughs> be amazing. Sadly, he is also one of the, I think at this point, the only surviving cast member. Yeah. From yeah. This, from this yes. movie. Yeah. He looks good too, Robert Redford. He, well, he's Robert Redford. He's look, he's going to look exactly the same. Yeah. <laughs> Did you know he never saw this film until 2004? What? what? Crazy. He doesn't watch his films apparently. He doesn't watch. He doesn't like watching himself yeah. on screen. What did What did he think? I don't know. I didn't. I didn't read that part. It oh. just said that he hadn't seen it. Yeah, that is amazing though. That yeah. is amazing. Like thirty years. I love the parallel. Know. There was I'm watching this. You know, like you know, obviously he's a very talented criminal in that, but he's really, really bad with money in that, which is apparently yeah. <laughs> is a real failing in some criminals in that because mm-hmm. it's it's exactly like with Val Kilmer's character in Heat and that. You know. Yeah. Robert De Niro and all the other guys, they all had money stashed away and everything from all the jobs that they'd done. But him, he was just trying to make it, you know, to the next bookie. Yeah. You know, with yeah, the payment. Yeah. No, it's an interesting characteristic and it definitely it added to that character um, yeah. because it just, yeah, it, it made him, it made you a little bit less uh, sure of about him, you know, as you watch the whole movie, you know, because you well, knew he had that, that little element. And I mean, it also, it really kind of humanized it because like he was, you know, he's a great con man, but he's a great con man that's garbage with money, yeah. <laughs> which explains why he's still a con man because he yeah. has to, because he doesn't know how to save money. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Oh man. So yeah. Um, but yeah, like I said, this movie has always been very near and dear to my heart. I love it. It's, you know, it's one of my, it's one of my miserable day movies where it's like, oh, it's pouring rain and gross inside. I'm going to put on the sting. (laughs) There's a body count of four in this film. Four. Yeah. Probably the lowest. I love Paul Newman's. (laughs) I love Paul Newman's character in this, um, you know. Uh, in particular, the way he would, you know, he, he's a he's a total pro uh, from beginning to end. And that right. there's some scenes where he's just sitting there so passively, and that and you can tell the wheels are turning in his head. And that, yeah. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. then 
the scene with the hook in the initially on the train car in that when his, <laughs> his character just transforms into a, such an antagonistic piece of garbage. Yeah, yeah, that was good. <laughs> I love that card game. Yeah. I, I wish I saw how he swapped the cards. I just wanted to see yeah. how he did it because mm-hmm. it was it was so like seamless. Yeah, yeah. Um, and this is just, and I'll just throw this little this little curveball. At least of the four movies we've discussed, I think the Sting definitely is the one that you could definitely watch with your kids. Yep. Yeah. Like it's yeah. which is not to say the other ones are bad, but I mean the other ones there is. Levels of, of violence and in somewhat vulgarity and Wanda, yeah. Kevin Klein <laughs> eats fish. He eats fish. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Inception is probably the next uh, only other one that you might be able to. Violence uh, I mean, involve a lot yeah. of explaining as to yeah. what's going on. But yeah, you know, they're dreaming. Is, they're just dreaming. Yeah, the Sting <laughs> is very much. It's a it's a movie that you can sit yeah. down and watch with your kids. Yes, there is some violence, but I mean, a lot of the violence, it either happens very early on or very late on. And, you know, it's worked out in a way that it's not traumatic violence. Because, again, this was shot in the 70s. Violence was not the same then as it is now. I watched it with my five-year-old. And all she said was, why'd that person die? I was like, eh, she was bad. Mm -hmm. like, okay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But, yeah, that's just, I wanted to throw that in there because we got to, tie this into the geeks with kids. Yep. Yeah. Did we? Um, (laughs) we did. Now I'm going to open this up to the floor right now. Does anyone have any other honorable mentions movies? We haven't necessarily talked about. I know that we're, we're planning on doing a later one. We're going to definitely revisit this, this topic in the future because they're phenomenal movies and they're just great watches. Yeah. I made like a massive list because I wanted to pick something a little bit offbeat yeah. and I was waiting. Um, and then Matt picked the the sting, which was actually in my, my top five because mm-hmm. I thought, yeah, I just picked this really weird, like, you know, seventies movie, you know? <laughs> um, but there's a whole bunch I discovered that I actually haven't even watched yet. I mean, do you just want me to name them? Because I haven't even watched well, them yet. Why don't we just do like three out, each you know? and then we can yeah. just sure. three okay. we suggest. Well, how about you guys go first? Because I have this massive list, so I'll just pick something. I'll, I'll go like first because, I, like I said, I, I'm a fan of heist movies generally. They kind of warm my heart. Um, the one, especially if we're going to continue on the vein of the movies you can watch with your kids, is 1981's The Great Muppet Cave. Yes. Ah, Okay. That like, one. if you I ever want, that. like, the easiest introduction to kids, like, for kids into the heist genre, go with the Muppets. <laughs> Plus, that's a good um, heist film in general. Also, especially because if you really like, there's so many references to other heist films, sure. including the including the Sting is mentioned. <laughs> they, they pay some homage to that in this in uh, that movie. It's it's a Muppet film. It's very silly. It's very campy. Um, but again, it's a heist film. Nice. Um, so yeah, it's it's cute. Uh, after that, I would be remiss if I didn't talk about the my personal all time favorite, one of my all time favorite movies, end of 1992's Reservoir Dogs. Mm, that's mm, right. Yes. Um, it's a heist film where the heist is not even shown on screen. That <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, you see them planning it, you see the aftermath. You don't actually see what happened. Aside from a few little tidbits here and there. It was all the getaway. It was yeah. all the getaway. And it's, it's Tarantino's first film. It is just a masterclass in character acting of, for everyone involved. Uh, the, the opening diner scene, you know, if you aren't hooked by that, don't watch the movie. 
Um, and then finally, hmm? sorry, a little piece of trivia on that. One of the characters in there, in that diner scene, uh, one of the guys, I can't remember which color he was, but it was played by Eddie Bunker in that. And, uh, anybody, uh, for those who don't know in that, uh, Eddie Bunker Uh, was Mr. Blue. Yeah, he was Mr. He was a real life criminal uh, yeah. before kind of mm-hmm. turning around. He he was another one to kind of mm-hmm. turn from one profession over to writing in yeah. in, in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nice. He actually became a consultant on the film with Tarantino, and he's like, "Yeah, no thieves. Actually, this is what they do. They sit around and just talk about random crap." Sure, Madonna. It's not all. Yeah, it's not all. It's not all sneers and cigars. It's no. They often just will sit around at a diner and talk about useless garbage. Nice. Nice. Um, and of course, I got to close my list out with uh, 1969's The Italian Job, the uh, OG nice. Italian uh, Job, yeah. with with Michael Caine as Charlie. You're only supposed to blow the bloody doors off Croker, because <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, I get just that bit. My favorite line from that movie: "You're only supposed to blow the bloody doors off." Michael Caine has done a lot of heist films in his in his career. Yeah, yeah, um, and a lot of like just across the board. Like, again, he was in the inception. He was an Italian job. He's, he's great at, at, at uh, these kind of films. Mm-hmm. Cause it's Michael Caine. He's just great. What about you, Hawk? Um, uh, I actually only have two. Uh, so uh, my first one will be 1981's thief also di- written and directed yeah. by Michael Mann starring James. I did I didn't know about that movie actually. And I was kind of hoping you would actually pick it. So I'd have an excuse to watch it. Um, so next maybe round. next time, but uh, yeah, I definitely need to check it out now after having watched Teat. It's a, it's a really good film. Again, it's a character study in that. And you know, about a guy, it, it it's different in the fact he's a, he's a solo artist slash thief in that he does, he wants his independence in that. And he finds like this kind of a, a corporatization of organized crime, trying to take that away from him. So hmm. very good film. So I think, you know, Watch it if you can. Uh, the other one I wanted to bring up was uh, 2000's Sexy Beast, uh, directed nice. by Jonathan Glazer, starring. Nice. Uh, yeah. Uh, what's his name? Oh, Ben Kingsley. Ben Kingsley. Ray Winston. Yeah, Ray Winston. Uh, it's a heist movie with a very much a twist in that. A guy being who really doesn't want to go back to it and that, but ends up through a, a bunch of circumstances having to do the job. Yeah. <laughs> Nice. All right. Yeah. Um, okay. Eric. Um, I'm going to do four because Hawk did uh, three. <laughs> <laughs> Go for it. So um, I'm going to start mine in chronological order. And the first one I'm going to pick is 1996 Bottle Rocket, um, which was directed yeah, by nice. Wes Anderson. It's about three, uh, three guys that try and mm-hmm. pull off a heist, a simple robbery. And then, you mm-hmm. know, things happen. <laughs> um, I, I don't really want to ruin that movie. That movie is really good and really funny. Um, yeah. The next one is it was, it was that was Wes Anderson's first film, yes. mm-hmm. as wow. well as I think the first film for both Luke and Owen Wilson. Yep. Yeah, and it was so made young. on a shoestring really? budget. Yeah, shoestring budget. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah. Robert Musgrave was also in that film, I believe. Um, yeah. The next one is a film that I, I I love this heist film because it's just so it's fun and it's the cast is incredible and it's 2001's Ocean's Eleven. I'm sure everyone yeah, has seen it. It's it's it's, it's mm-hmm. just a good fun flick, and you know the the other ones weren't as good, but this one was a top notch. I, I like the other I two. But the, I think I didn't mind any of the oceans films because again, like after the first one, you knew what you were getting yourself into. When you see the word oceans, you know what that movie yeah. is. Yes, it, which is you know, there's nothing wrong with that if you're going in. Same with as much as I I I pooped on it earlier. The 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 fast 
It's a lot of the fast yeah. films, which are heist films. You know what you're getting into with those, so you don't have to like it. But if you don't like it, don't see it. I, I actually uh, put this out of order. Uh, I forgot 2000 Snatch uh, by Guy oh, Ritchie. Yeah. Uh, which oh, yeah. I, I feel nice, like nice. Um, that was back when um, Brad Pitt was going back up into the atmosphere yeah. of his uh, job. Yeah. And him saying Dags is something I think me and Hawk say weirdly. <laughs> Dags. <laughs> like Dags. You like, like Dags? Um, and I think it was the first time I saw Benicio Del Toro. And he was amazing mm-hmm. in that film. The whole cast, again. There was, yeah, that, there was a lot of actors that were either sort of, that was one of their first ones or that was what kind of brought them to the forefront of everyone's attention. Mm-hmm. Right. Eric, yeah, you hadn't seen uh, Usual Suspects at that time. I had, I, I didn't put it. Or oh. Fear and Loathing. I don't, I don't recall Benicio. But I, I Benicio, oh, okay. Benicio Del Toro was a standout. Like, yeah, you know, with these Usual Suspects weird, was uh, the first time I saw him. I remember him. Yeah, yeah, because of yeah. the 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 lineup in English. <laughs> flip you. What? Flip you. Flip you. Sorry, my bad. That was flip you. Flip you real good. Okay, my last one is a film from 2010. I think this film has gone. Mostly forgotten, but I think it's the first time, or this was the rise of Ben Affleck again as a, and first time as a director, and and second time oh. I guess as a writer, and it's uh, the town, which is yes. uh, the heist yep. film set yeah. in Boston, and it definitely got overshadowed by Inception of the same yeah, year. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But this film was wonderful. It stars Ben Affleck, Rebecca Hall, uh, John Hamm, and Jeremy Renner. So mm-hmm. go see it. It's good. Fantastic film. Do it. That the the yeah no we definitely should do this again because I wanna I want an excuse to watch some of these movies and <laughs> that's the only way it's gonna happen. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> well, uh, my three picks. Uh, I'll do it in reverse chronological order. Um, <laughs> I uh, I've actually never seen uh, 1999's uh, Three Kings, and uh, I picked it just because <sighs> of the interesting setting. Right, uh, it it stars uh, George Clooney, Mark Wahlberg, Mark Wahlberg. Uh, but yeah, it's a, and it's a rock war situation where yeah. they find gold. I guess. I think you know, but they're, they're really going to go movie. find a, a cache of gold. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I just I wasn't really sure whether that would really count or whether it would be a good heist no, movie. But hundred percent like, counts as a heist yeah. film. All right. Yeah, just just due to the unique setting. Um, and then also in my research, I found this one movie I'd never heard of before, and I don't again I don't know if it's any good or not, but it's called uh, Set It Off from nineteen ninety six. Um, and mm-hmm. yeah, it's an all female team starring Jada Pinkett. Uh, Queen Latifah, Vivica A. Fox, and Kimberly Elise. Yeah. Um. And I, yeah, I'd never heard of this movie, and it it sounds intriguing because you know they're they're you know it's a different type of you know crew. You know, like yeah. they they have different reasons, like unlike a lot of these male driven you know uh, uh teams. Uh, and then the last one uh was my super hoity-toity pick that I was gonna go with, and then decided to do a fish called Wanda for 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 jokes. Uh, and that was 1955's uh, Rafifi which is a black and white French film, but it is known uh, amongst uh, heist film discussion because the whole film is about them trying to figure out a way to get around a sound detection um, uh, alarm. And uh, basically after all the, you know, getting the team together and a lot of the planning and testing, they actually do the heist in total silence. Mm -hmm. And you see the entire sequence play through and it's just completely no noise right and so uh, i don't know like again how how it would age you know <laughs> in comparison but it's one that intrigues me because i'm sure it, it set the standard for certain types of sequences. it's really good mm-hmm. like it's a good film and that sequence you think is only like a couple minutes it's like a quarter of the film <laughs> like yeah I, I remember it's quite long yeah i think it's at least I think, 10 minutes i think maybe it's 20. 30 minutes know. man 
Yeah, I couldn't that, even be 30. The concept of that sequence, in fact, was borrowed for pop in pop culture and then used again in uh, Mission Impossible. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's one more film I'm going to throw out there just because I forgot it when I was building my list. I'm going to be greedy because I'm hosting and I can do that. Yeah. It's 1992's Sneakers. I love that film. Oh, oh. Hmm. Uh, Robert Redford. Robert Redford yeah. that one down. It's uh, Robert Redford, Dan Aykroyd, Ben Kingsley, Mary McDonald, River Phoenix, Sidney Poitier, and David Strathairn. Yeah. Wow. Uh, it's it is a comedy caper film. It's not it's not as serious as it sounds, but it phenomenal performances across the board. Like watching those actors chew scenery around each other <laughs> is the greatest thing you'll you'll never know you wanted to see. Mm-hmm. Nice. Uh, and it was directed by uh, Phil Alden Robinson, who's also known for Field of Dreams. Wow. So, yeah. I don't think I've actually ever seen that one. It was. I, know, uh, well, I, I, remember, I remember the posters for it. I never seen it. It came out around the same time as Reservoir Dogs. Oh. So they basically had like two heist films and people were like, this movie's amazing. And the other one's like, eh, Dan Aykroyd's kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> Which is true yeah. of most sentences it was, well, involving Dan Aykroyd. Sneakers was also really, I remember at the time, it was really poorly advertised because it was advertised as like this like intense drama. Okay. But everyone looked at the cast and they're like, I yeah. don't, I don't get it. And then people be? would go went and saw them were like this movie, like they didn't know it was supposed to be funny. Right. Like obviously in the years since then people were like, no, this is a comedy. But at the time people were like, we we think it's a comedy, but we're not sure. Mm-hmm. So we kind of just tanked a little bit in the box office. Yeah. Funny. But definitely again, worth checking out. It's a hilarious movie. Nice. So nice. that's that. So we're going to put it out to you, the fans. What do you guys think? Do you have any other films that we missed even in our, our honorable mentions that we didn't talk about. Um, y'all know how to get a hold of us. We're easy to find. And if you're not sure, all the information's in the crawl at the end. We're in the socials. We're in all the socials. We're picking up socials day by day. Yeah. Uh, so on uh, behalf of Hawk, Eric, Steve, and myself, I want to thank you guys for joining us. Guys, I want to thank you for joining me on this wacky caper we call uh, our favorite heist films. And there's not much left to say aside from we'll talk to you guys next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, that's it for us this week on Geeks with Kids. If you want to get a hold of us, you can send us an email at podcast at geekswithkids.ca. And don't forget to like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash geekswithkids. Follow us on Twitter at geekswithkidstn. Check out our pics on Instagram at geekswithkids. And you can find all of this good stuff on our website at www.geekswithkids.ca. So if you like what you hear, why don't you hit that subscribe button and leave us a comment. This podcast can be found on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, YouTube, and your favorite podcasting app. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. <laughs> no, it should be. Yeah, yeah. Do entertainer, then drop the drop the 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 zone, the tone, and that'd be awesome. <laughs>